in some ways, um, this atheistic view that would just matter is actually kind of maybe the newer um, idea. Um, that there is, uh, classically speaking, there's always been a sense that we uh, had a soul of some sort or something immaterial. Um, and so, again, what are we? What are we as a human per, uh, person? And, you know, the, again, the modern idea is that we're just a body. Um, that uh, the philosophy of what I would be called gross materialism, that we're just the matter that we see, that there's nothing immaterial, uh, that we are just what we uh, see, that um, the human um, body can be explained through science or uh, through just matter. Because uh, I'm a nerd, um, there was a Star Trek episode where they downloaded, some guy was dying and so he downloaded his mind into a computer. Um, and so, um, so the idea that like, that everything that's uh, in our mind or in our brain uh, can be accounted for by matter. Um, and that would be kind of goes with tourism or uh, atheism. You know, the idea there's nothing beyond the matter that we see. Um, uh, and then uh, the, maybe the opposite would be that we're like a soul trapped in a body. Like the, the main thing is that we are a soul um, and that we happen to be trapped in a body. And so you see that uh, especially in like Eastern religions, um, like Hinduism, Buddhism, like what is the goal? The goal is enlightenment, right? To free our mind, right? They talk about like uh, lessening desires or getting rid of desires, you know, human desires, right? Like, you know, for food, sex, pleasure, right? And so how do we free our mind from our material, our bodily needs? And so this idea that that um, that the one is good and that the many or division is bad. And so um, I want to free, like as long as I'm a, I've got matter, then I can separate myself from you or from anyone else, right? And so the idea is to free my soul from my body so that my soul can be joined to the one. So like when you die or the idea, the goal is for your soul to be freed uh, and to join the one, and if you don't do that, uh, you're reincarnated into something else, and right? And so the idea is to free our soul from uh, matter and eventually join the one, right? Um, and so the sense that um, that the body is bad, um, and we so. Um, so I guess I'm skipping to three, I'm skipping over two, but uh, so Manichaeism is a philosophy that, again, the idea that matter is bad, um, that spirit is good. Uh, and so again, trying to free ourselves from the, the material world, uh, the world of individualism, of uh, separating things from one thing to another. And so we also, you get this Manichaeism or this idea that there's good and bad, uh, like, you know, what is that, like, uh, circle with, like, 
know, half white, half dark, and then like a little sort of like yin yangs. Do you know what I was? I don't have a picture of it, but do you know what I'm talking about? And so this idea that there's uh, good and bad, that there's uh, dualism, and so the um, the body is the bad part, and that the soul is the good part. Yeah. Don't we also kind of have that belief in a, in a way, kind of? Yeah, so, um, and people have, like, there was a group of Christians in the early church um, that fell into the, um, the heresy of Manichaeism because of scriptures like those. And so that's why it's important, like, not to get off topic, but to read scripture in the light of the church. Um, and not just like pick out services because we can, then we can do things like that. And it's like, um, and we also have to remember that, so St. Paul, when he talks about the flesh, he's talking about our fallen human desires, our inordinate, like, you know, you have like one bowl of ice cream, but you might still have a desire for, a, you know, a second or third or fifth bowl of ice cream, like that's like an inordinate desire, right? Um, and so, uh, but we have to, counter that with like when Jesus took on flesh, right? Like Jesus took on you know, that was another heresy that got that Jesus took on like appeared to take on human flesh. Almost like a hologram or something. Like he didn't really take on human flesh. It just appeared that he took on human flesh. And it's like, no, like Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so if Jesus was willing to take on human flesh, then there's then the human flesh can't be entirely bad. Um, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so there's a sense like, um, oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, in, uh, I think it's Chosen, um, uh, Father Mike, uh, talks about uh, good and evil and how evil is not a thing in and of itself. Uh, he like I, the analogy he said I think is awesome. Like he says like good like God is like the sun. Like what is what does the sun put off? Like light and heat. Like those are the two only two things that the sun puts off is is light and heat. Like that's all the sun does. So what is darkness? or what is cold, it's not like, in some ways you could say it's not a thing in and of itself. It just means that something is blocking the heat or the light of the sun. That God only gives, only radiates goodness, truth and beauty, what uh, Huey was talking about the other day at Common Formation. Like, God only gives truth, goodness, and beauty. And so if there's a lack of it. It's not that God somehow gave it, or like there's another entity that that radiates that. It's that uh, there's something. There's a lack of. There's something blocking truth, goodness, and beauty. There's something blocking the light and the heat. And so, Catholic philosophy would say that there's that evil in some ways is not something in and of itself. Like even Satan himself, like it was he's rejected God, obedience to God. And so, 
It, he, like, in himself, like, he was created as Lucifer, the angel of light. He was creating good. It's just it's a lack of obedience or a lack of love um, that makes him the evil person, evil being that he is. Um, and so, in some ways, um, that is that we talk about Satan, but in some ways, like Satan is not an equal to God, right? Lucifer, the angel of light, um, and now Satan is not equal to God. It's not like there's like two opposing gods. Like you think of like Roman mythology or Greek mythology, like they have, there's a whole pantheon of gods, right? And it's not like there's two gods like competing between good and evil, like an equal yin and yang. It's like the, the what we call like maybe the personification or like the person that kind of evil is uh, gathers around is Satan, but Satan was, himself was a created creature of God, and so it's not like there's two competing gods, like one good is good and one is bad. I mean they're not equal, and so Satan is a created being, just like and so it's just like so we are or any of the good angels were. Um, and so, um, so there's not this dualism that there was in Manichaeism, this idea that, that you know, there's certain things that are good and certain things that are bad. We believe that, uh, and we'll get to it, but we believe that God created everything good. And so there's a sense that everything is good, and where there's evil is because there's a lack of God's goodness there. It's, in some ways, it's not like evil in and of itself, but the but the evil comes from a lack of God's goodness, truth, and beauty. Um, so we uh, are not angels, because again, angels are just uh, spirits. Uh, they have no body, so they can go from one place to another instantly. Um, they have all their knowledge at the moment of their creation, so they don't have to learn things. They just know, like just as God, He just God is. He just knows everything. Um, God just is, and so the angels, in some ways, image God in that way that they don't um, have to learn things. They just know, um, and so we uh, are, are not that way. Um, uh, so, um, so we're not pure spirit, but we're not just pure body, like we just talked about that. So, like, um, animals or plants or rocks, like, we're more than that. Like, we're not just pure matter. Um, and some people would say, like, you know, what is the proof of, um, uh, of, you know, this body, spirit, um, the uh, entity that we are, a unity that we are as human beings. And I would say, like, you know, I'm sure that science could explain in some ways, but, like, how does, like, the cell in your body, like, how does it know to grow into a fingernail and not, like, a liver? Like, you know, there has to be something overall, like, informing your body uh, on how to be. Like, what is that overarching, um, Thing or whatever that's informing your body to be the way it is. Um, and so, uh, traditionally, uh, that would be, they would call that the soul. Like there's something immaterial that's informing the matter 
on exactly how to be you. Um, and I, if last I checked, like science has done a really good job of it. I, from what I last time I checked, they they're not able to explain all of that. Is that true? Do you know that? <laughs> no. Uh, from what I understand, like what we've like learned in biochemistry is like it has to do with like what genes are like turned on by the signals of the other cells. So it's just like communication between the cells. So okay. Like one cell kind of like gives off a signal that it's becoming one thing, and then the other one's like, oh, okay, I'll make this instead. Okay. Simplified kind of version. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, so like science, you know, I started to explain, like, in one of the videos I watched, they talked more about, like, the, the mind, like, you know, um, like, even when they've done, like, CAT scans and stuff, like, you know, like, uh, you know, there's a sense that the mind is, you know, um, you know, brainwaves or whatever, but they would also hear about like out of body experience, uh, like near death experiences. And so, um, this was actually, uh, for those of you who care, it's, uh, this, I was watching this search uh, on Formed, um, and they were talking about like near death experiences, and people like they were able to see like people operating on them, um, or like they were able to go outside the hospital, like someone was describing, yeah, there's a shoe on the ledge, and like the doctor's like, what? Um, and like he went out and like checked, and like there was a window on the ledge, and like there's no way that they could have known that because they were in the operating room. And so like, you know, immediately afterwards, they're like, oh, I had this experience, and like they described the doctor what they saw, and he's like, well, that's really weird, and so I, he's like, I'll go check the ledge. Um, and so like, and near-death experiences are, have been reported throughout history, like even before Christianity. And so, like, if that's true, then what is that that is leaving the body? What is seeing things? Like, they're talking about blind people that have been blind since birth, describing color and objects. And like, so how is like, like, um, how are these people? Describing things that if they were just like if it was just our body they wouldn't be able to explain, and so there has to be some part of us that is not that is more than just our body or our cells or our matter. Um, but at the same time, yeah, we don't as Catholics believe that um, it's just your soul. Like you know, sometimes Protestants will even say like if you you just have to believe like it's just a matter of faith, right? Um, and in some ways, that's a form of um, dualism or manichaeism. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It doesn't matter what actions I do. It doesn't matter, like, how I live out my faith. It's just that I've made this prayer to Jesus. That I've accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, right? So, like, extreme, like, um, uh, uh, well, I can't think, um, evangelicalism or whatever, like, you know, Baptists like are more kind of like that. Like you know, just accept Jesus as your personal and savior. Say the Jesus prayer, and you're saved, right? Um, and so that, in some ways, in some ways, is a kind of a form of manichaeism. Like you know, I just have to get out of my body, you know, and I just have to accept. It's a matter of the mind. It's a matter of my soul accepting Jesus. Like it doesn't matter how I like live it out in my body. Um, so. Um, again, we um, 
we are not animals, we're not just pure body, we're not just angels, we're not pure spirit. We're this unity of body and soul. Um, and we'll need to remember that throughout this whole thing. Um, I was going to show um, a clip from The Matrix. Uh, it's an old movie. Have any of you ever seen The Matrix? Okay. Um, so, it's this idea that um, that the uh, what they think is the what they think is the life that they're living is just all like um, virtual reality, and that they're actually actually um, machines have started to use human bodies as basically batteries to power their uh, their artificial intelligence or their machines living their lives, and so essentially human beings have become batteries, and so they put. But they like project this virtual reality into people's minds or brains, so that they think that they're living, you know, a, a normal life, going to work and having a family and everything. Um, but it's all virtual, um, and so you know, the question is like, how how can we know? How can we know that we can know something? And so like, you know, what is the thing like, right? How do you know that you're not just living in someone else's dream, right? Like, you know, how, how do we know what reality is? Um, and this, I, I think that, uh, I think that, and others would say too, that this actually goes back to Descartes, who was a philosopher in, I want to say the 15th century, maybe for uh, 16th century. But he's the one who said, I think, therefore I am. And so, according to Descartes, the only reality I can know is the things that I feel. Right? So, in some ways, Descartes would say, like, I don't even know if there's a, a, um, a podium here. Like, I can feel that there's, I can sense that something is here, but maybe it's just like, things firing in my fingers, like messages in my fingers. Like, I can't really know that there's a reality here. Like, I can only know what I feel. Like, what my body is telling me. Like, that's the only reality I know. Like, I don't know if you guys really exist or not, but I know that my, I know that my, I can see an image of you. Like, I know that I'm seeing an image of you, but I don't know if you actually exist. Like, I know that the image of you exists, because I can see something right now that you know looks like people, but I don't actually know if you do exist. So the only thing that I, know, the only reality I know is what I'm thinking. Um, and this can lead down a scary path, because uh, if you take it to the extreme, I believe at least to where we are today, right? So at least to like uh, euthanasia, like if someone is has dementia or is old or whatever, they have less worth. If you have um, Down syndrome, right? What is it, some, like some country in Northern Europe eliminated, uh, they're like, we don't have, uh, you know, our numbers of, uh, we don't have any cases of Down syndrome in our country. Well, that's because they aborted all the kids that had Down syndrome. Um, it's not like they eliminated the disease. No, they just aborted all, killed all the babies that had Down syndrome. Um, and so, if you can't think, then you don't have worth, right? 
babies in the womb, right? Like, if you can't think, you're not uh, worthwhile. And, like, you could even say that in the opposite, right? Like, as a culture, we, you know, hold up doctors, lawyers, you know, uh, whatever, people who are really smart, right? So I think, therefore, I am. And that what I love about the Catholic Church, uh, one of the things I love about the Catholic Church is, like, we have doctors of the church, like St. Thomas Aquinas, he wrote, like, volumes of philosophy, like the Summa Theologica, like, just really, really intensely intelligent things. And yet, when St. Thomas saw the beatific vision, when he saw, like, a hint of heaven, of God, he's like, it's all straw. Like, what I've written, like, not that it was untrue, but compared to the reality of God, like, it paled in comparison. But, anyways, like, we have people like, um, like St. Thomas Weiss, but we also have, like, St. Therese, a little flower, who is, like, coming up, and, like, she is also considered after the church. Like, she probably didn't have much more than a fifth or an eighth grade education. Like, she didn't, like, know a lot. Like, she wasn't super intelligent. But what she did, she had a great relationship with God, who is the ultimate reality. Like, she knew God. And so, like, when she writes about God, she's writing about beautiful, extreme, like, yeah, like, God, if God is truth, good, and beauty, like, she was writing amazing things about truth, good, and beauty, not because she was super intelligent, but because she was simple and humble and was willing to listen to God. And that's what I love about the Catholic Churches. We can have people like Thomas Aquinas, and yet we can have people like St. Teresa the Little Flower. And they're both considered doctors of the church. Um, because they both understood, more than most, the reality of who God is and His truth, good, and beauty. Um, so, this is, so that is... In some ways, it like God wants us to know reality, and so we believe um, because really the only thing, way out of Descartes' proposition, I think, therefore I am. The only really way out of it is faith. Um, you know, if you're honest about it, I think the only way out of there are people who disagree with me, but I think in some ways the only way out of Descartes' proposal is faith. Um, faith that God is good and God created us good and He wants us to understand reality um, and so He's given us the tools to observe and understand reality Maybe we can talk about our five senses we can talk about like spiritual knowledge the Bible uh, like other things like God has given us the tools um, to understand reality. And he's given us the tools to create things to better understand reality. You can talk about the Hubble telescope, right? And things like that. Like, he has given us the tools to grow smarter and smarter and more and, and understand reality greater and greater. And so, when I touch something, I know that it's real because I trust that God has given me the senses to know reality. And so when I see you guys, I trust that you really exist. When I, you know, um, you know, walk across the street and breathe air, like, I know that you exist, right? Um, what does uh, Christopher West say, like, you know, 
if it's raining outside, I don't care if you believe it's raining outside or not. Like, when you go outside, you're gonna get wet. Like, that's the reality. I mean, it's not right now, but like, I mean, like, if it is raining outside, like, you're gonna get wet. Like, that's a reality. It's not just, like, my perception. Like, you know, I can't just think, like, oh, it's not raining, therefore it's not raining for me. It may be raining for you, but it's not raining for me. And so if I go outside, I'm not gonna get wet, right? No, that's not the way reality works. And so, I think the really the only way out of Descartes' proposal and like things like the Matrix and like the question like how do you know you're not in just someone else's dream? In some ways, it's hard to argue because I think really the only honest way out is faith. A faith in a God that loves us and wants what is best for us and is a good God and wants us to understand reality as it really is. Um, and so if he's given us the tools uh, to observe and understand reality is because he loves us. Um, I have a third uh, matter and form. Um, so a lot of uh, Catholic philosophy is based on the idea that um, in Catholic philosophy uh, form you can equate to like the soul and then matter would be matter, or like um, atoms, or whatever, right? So um, we say like, uh, yeah, your body is made up of matter, and the form uh, is the soul, right? And so like, in um, ancient philosophy, um, uh, I'm not thinking right now, um, Aristotelian philosophy, would say that there is, like, when you see a tree outside, there's a form of tree that says, like, I'm a tree. Like, so, when you look at a tree, no tree is, is the same as another tree, right? But somehow our mind, you know, through our parents or whatever, like, we learn, like, okay, the like, tree generally looks like this, right? And so when we, even though we've never seen it, maybe a tree before, we know, oh, like, that is a tree. And so, um, Aristotelian philosophy would say like that's not just because like it looks similar, but rather that like there's something immaterial, a form of tree that's uh, that God created that is in, um, informing my mind that that is a tree. And so um, there's the you know, the matter that the light is hitting, that hits my eyes. And so there's the, like, what we say, I don't know, the scientific mechanic uh, mechanism for me to see the tree. But then there's something immaterial that allows my mind to categorize that as a tree. Um, and so there's all, like, the, the, the physical mechanism of, you know, the light hitting the tree, the light hitting my eye, you know, the neurons firing, you know, and, you know, being categorized. But um, at least the Aristotelian philosophy would say, like, at some point there's uh, something that's emanating, something immaterial that's emanating from the tree and forming on my mind that it is a tree. And so, uh, if, so anything like alive, maybe not man-made, but anything that God created has both a matter and form. And so each of us have, has the form of a human person. Like we have a human soul, 
right? We don't have a dog soul, we don't like cow soul, like we have a human soul. And so like, you know, I was talking about like the people who had near-death experiences, like uh, some of them, have, like I said, some of them have been blind since birth. And so like the human body, ever since they were born, did not have the capacity to see but the human soul, like our human soul, has the capacity to see. And so they were able to, in their soul, when they were floating around or whatever, they were able to see color and objects, things that they had never been able to do in the body because their body was deformed in some ways, right? So like, we could say that the human body um, usually has two ears, right? So like, you know, when I get to heaven, you know, maybe I'll have two ears. Like, I don't know. Like, because that's what our human soul is, right? Like, that's, uh, like, yeah, like, as a human soul, uh, the form would inform the body that usually is just two eyes, two arms, you know, things like that. Um, and so, um, so that, like, the people, again, like, that had near-death experiences, they were able to see because that's a function of the human soul. Even though their body didn't allow them to live out that function of the soul, that was a, a function of the human soul, is to see. Um, so again, uh, as we know from Genesis, we are made in the image and likeness of God. Um, again, the great uh, Catholic philosophy defines a human person as an individual substance of a rational nature. Um, and so the substance again is a uh, human being that our substance is like you can equate the word soul, a soul in there again. Uh, so an individual soul, um, so like my soul, I have a separate soul from you. Like again that Eastern religion like all of our souls are broken off from the one big soul, right? That's kind of like Eastern philosophy, right? That um, the individualism is bad, and so our souls need to get back to the one, right? And so, um, but no, like, uh, we believe that we are an individual substance. Like, my soul is created good and is separate from your soul. Right, so an individual substance, an individual soul of a rational nature. So um, we can rationalize, we can reason, right? We can reason what is good or bad. We can reason math. We can reason science, right? Like I, um, you know, what is someone joke? Like you don't see squirrels building skyscrapers, right? Like you know, you don't see. Um, um, you know, I don't know, dolphins painting the Mona Lisa, right? Like, you know, we, uh, there's something about the human soul that is, we can reason and we can imagine things beyond, you know, the things that we observe. Um, and so, um, that's because we are made in the image and likeness of God. Um, that we have this uh, intellect, this uh, free will. Um, what was it the other day? Like, um, one of the priests has a dog. He's just like, no, uh, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And then like, one of the other priests said, nothing. Like, you know, um, because we believe that animals just react. They have like a, um, a reactive nature, right? Like, 
um, you put in this input and then you get this output, right? And you know, because um, and they have you know, dogs have personalities and stuff, but and um, but it's just kind of like you know, you put in this input and you get this output, and so but like we believe that human beings really have free will. Like you put a certain input, and like a person that had can freely choose how to react to that input, right? Um, that there, there's a mystery um, to how a human person will uh, react because they really truly have free will. Um, and that's because again that we are made in the image of likeness of God. That we have an intellect that we can imagine things that don't exist. Um, we have, we can be creative. Um, and that we truly have free will. And again, this is unlike the animals. Um, and it's, this free will is utterly important to who we are as human beings. Um, the intellect helps us to reason. Reason what is good, a good action, what is a bad action. Um, it is uh, this intellect and the, the free will that we can freely choose which action to do uh, that allows us to be moral beings. Again, um, animals um, have instinct, and so they're not moral beings. Like, you know, they can't choose things. And so, um, right, uh, and so, um, I mean, they can learn different behavior, um, but they can't really choose new behavior. Um, and because we can freely choose things, um, uh, we have become moral beings. Um, God has free will. God is free to do whatever He wants. And again, we are made in the image and likeness of God. And so we can freely choose things. And thus we are moral beings. Free will is necessary for love. Um, so again, like if you don't have free will... Um, that means that in some ways you're forced to do one thing. Um, and so if God wants us to love, love has to be freely given. Um, love can't be forced, right? You know, if you hold someone, a gun to someone's head and say, you know, uh, love me, let's not truly love, right? And so love has to be freely given. Um, it's why, uh, at least for, especially for guys, it's scary to ask a woman out because she can she can freely say no, right? Um, and so, um, you know, and so that's what God did with us, is He took that risk. Because He wanted a being that could truly love Him back, He had to take the risk of also saying no. In order to create a being that could love Him back, He had to take the risk of us saying no. Um, and so, when we choose evil, when we choose bad, we are choosing to say no to God's love. Um, and God had to take the risk of us doing that because He needed to create a being that could truly love Him back. And so in order for us to love Him back, we also had to, also had to have the ability of not loving Him back. Um, and again, because we have that free will, because we have that intellect, we now have our moral beings. Um, so sources of the moral law uh, God is the source of all moral law Since he created us uh, It would make sense that if God created us That he would know what is best for us 
And obviously the world uh, doesn't think that. Um, you know, um, that, uh, no, somehow, um, uh, just thinking of some uh, meme that I saw on Facebook, uh, something to the effect like, you know, human beings now know more about, are more enlightened about sexuality than ever before, like, as if no one had ever, you know, been enlightened about sexuality before. Um, that we've now figured it out, right? Um, so, um, the, I, they were alluding to, like, you know, homosexuality, um, uh, you know, uh, was it non-gender um, specific or whatever. Um, and so, um, but we think that since God created us, that He would know what is best for us. That uh, if God created us, um, He would know what actions would be best for us. And so, morality is not based, you know, just on a set of rules just because. We believe that uh, the morality taught by the Catholic Church is given to us by God because God knows what is truly best uh, for us. Like, if we live uh, according to God, like, uh, we will be most happy, most joyful. Like, you know, um, just maybe even kind of a stupid example, right? Like, if, um, if someone is, you know, having sex outside of marriage, right? You know, you have to worry um, about STDs, because if you're sleeping around, they probably slept around. Um, you have to worry about maybe an unplanned pregnancy, right? If you, um, no, are you ready to raise a child? Are they ready to raise a child? And these are all things that, um, that you know, usually are answered, you know, in a monogamous marriage. You know, these things are an obvious yes. Like, I married you, I plan to be with you for the rest of my life. Um, we're in a position to raise a child. You know, um, you're, and so, um, so by living by God's rules or morality, we set ourselves up for the best life possible. Um, and so that would be true of things like big like that, but also in the small things too. Like we believe that like not lying helps us live a better life. Right, and so God's rules aren't there just as an imposition, but God says like these are the rules that if you want to live the best life possible, like this is how you do it. Um, and not it's just like I don't, I want to make your life unfun, right? Like uh, that's not what God is doing. Um, and so if God creates us, then He would, it would make sense that He would know what is best for us. How? for us to live the best life possible. Um, God is unchanging. You know, God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow, um, and forever. And so if God is unchanging, therefore the moral law is unchanging. Um, so yes, we can grow in our understanding of the moral law, but the moral law itself is unchanging. So like today, right, we have to talk about questions of like um, IVF, which we'll do later, in vitro fertilization. You know, we have to talk about um, feeding tubes or, or things that, like, you know, didn't exist, you know, 50 years ago. And so, um, 
the moral law doesn't change, but how we apply it, our understanding of the moral law has to change because technology is changing, our world is changing, right? Things come up that didn't come up before, and so uh, our understanding has to change, but the moral law itself doesn't change. Um, again, so, so God is the source uh, of all moral law. Um, he also gave us the Ten Commandments, um, right? Um, Uh, I won't read all ten, but uh, so Matthew. Uh, 22 verse 37 and he said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great first commandment and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself of these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets and so we think of like even the ten commandments right the first three have to do with our relationship with God right and I always like to say notice how those are first right um, and the the, the vertical beam of the cross is longer, right? And then the last seven are the horizontal. And that's our relationship with others, right? And so all of the law, all the ten, and that includes the Ten Commandments, uh, can be summed up in loving God and loving our neighbor. Um, right? And then um, human reason, right? Um, usually, um, Right, our human reason, uh, like our conscience, like most people, if you ask them, if killing a human, uh, an innocent human person, um, it, there's, if you ask them if that was good or bad, like hopefully, like most people would say, like that's a bad thing, right? Um, and so we can, we have human reason, right? Um, Romans chapter 1 verse 18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness support, suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them Ever since the, uh, ever since the creation of the world his invisible nature namely his eternal power and deity has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For they, uh, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became fiddle, futile in their thinking, but and their senseless minds were darkened. And so uh, the the sense that. Um, our minds are darkened, right? So at the fall, um, at the beginning of creation, right? 
Adam and Eve were created with a perfect understanding of God's will and law. Right? Um, and so, um, after the fall, our, our, um, our conscience, our understanding of God's will is clouded. And so, you know, some of us, right, again, like most of us would say like killing another human person is bad. Well, you know, now tons of people um, try and uphold the idea of abortion, right? Which is killing of an innocent person, and so if um, and so there's different ways that our minds can become clouded, right? Like, or we convince ourselves, like, you know, usually stealing is bad, but you know, I really need, you know, this purse or whatever, right? Like, I really like for in this case, like, you know, you know, maybe I, you know, I, I would pay for it if I could, like, but you know, in some ways, they owe it to me. Right, and so like we make excuses, right? Like you know, it's okay if I lie to this person because they don't deserve to have the truth, right? And so we like try and justify our sin, right? We do that all the time. I do that all the time. We justify the the evil that we do, right? And that's because our minds are clouded, like we and our reason is clouded, and so we try and reason. Uh, that this action, at least for me at this time, is okay because, right? We really, we really sin just out of pure spite. Like we usually sin because we somehow justify that this bad thing that we're doing, at least in this case, is a good thing. Like usually we try and do good things, but sometimes we justify bad things by uh, convincing ourselves that they're good things. Um, because God has put on our heart to do good things. Um, so again, this is this kind of like um, this human reason is is called um, in some ways it's called uh, well this human reason that this natural law and it's not like the laws of nature like physics right the laws of nature like the. Natural law has to do with human beings. Like again, this this idea that you know there is a natural law that God has put in to our lives as human beings because He created us and knows us, and so um, it's a natural like a natural law that begin like something like that. Like don't kill an innocent person, right? Like it's bad to lie. Um, you know, just the things that like. Uh, you know, kids, they, they may say, like, that's unfair, right? Like, where does a kid get his sense of justice, right? Like, it's something inborn in us. And so, like, there's a sense that there's a natural law that's written on our hearts. Um, and again, obviously, that's from God, right? And then the other source of, um, of morality is from the Catholic Church, um, from the Bible. And then the magisterium is just like the teaching body of the church, which is like the, the Pope um, in unison with the bishops. Um, the, the bishops are the successors of the apostles. And so when they uh, teach as a group, that is called the magisterium. So the teaching body of the church, the magisterium, uh, when they say that, you know, this is a bad thing or the good thing, like, then we believe that that um, comes to us from the Holy Spirit. That, you know, 
Jesus promised Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail in the church. It doesn't mean that people in the church won't do evil things, right? I sin, right? No, I'm a priest. I sin. Like, it happens. And obviously, worse, people have done really bad things who were part of the church, hierarchy of the church, right? Um, but we believe that when it comes to matters of faith and morals, that the Holy Spirit protects the church from teaching error. And so, um, so the Catholic Church, you know, is a sense um, the um, the source, one of the sources of uh, of morality. And you know, because I like to be a jerk every once in a while, um, you know, people are like, no, yeah, like the church is wrong about this, blah blah blah. And I'm like, okay, like, so how long have you been alive? Like, you know, maybe 20 years, 22 years, right? Like, the Catholic Church has been studying the human problem, like what it means to be a human being, what life is like. They've been studying that for the last 2,000 years, you know? Um, and so if you really think that you figured out something that the Catholic Church hasn't in your 20 years of being alive, that's probably... You're probably wrong, and that's really arrogant of you to think that somehow in your 20 years of being alive, you have figured out something out that an institution that's been studying the human condition 2,000 years hasn't figured out. Um, and the Catholic Church has. It's been studying the human, what it means to be a human being, what it means to be a son or daughter of God for the last 2,000 years. Um, and with the help of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, as Catholics, um, we believe that we should trust uh, what the Church says. Um, and so, um, yeah, I feel like I've been talking a lot. Any questions? I mean, we've gone over a lot, um, but um, this is in some ways like the I think in some ways the unfun part. Um, you know, that we'll get to, like, the meat of it and, the, like, the application of it in the classes to come. Um, so, uh, it's always... I did a class, not quite like this, but um, with some seventh grade boys, and that was, that was quite interesting. The scenarios, the moral scenarios they came up with, so... Um, um, not to offend anyone, but I mean, so the big boys, and so we're talking about like if you were on a runaway cart going down um, a steep hill, uh, could you strap uh, their words, the fat kid on the front, to save everyone else? Was that a moral uh, thing to do or not? Um, and so, um, so yeah, we'll get to other things that maybe are more exciting. But I just wanted to give you like an anthropology, like because if we don't understand who the human person is, then um, we, the morality that the church proposes, that Christ proposes, is based on who we are as a human person. And so we have to understand who the human person is if we want to understand why the principles of morality are what they are. Um, so, but again, any questions, thoughts, opinions? You guys are either, either I said everything really well or you're all half asleep or both. Yes, Lucas. So, sometimes the Catholic faith 
but obviously there's sin and we're all a little broken on all yeah. this um, so obviously it should be this way and people should be acting like this and thinking like this but we don't so how um, I guess how do you live in a world of sin and like in your own mind um, with your own thoughts and still apply this morally do you know, how do you live in an earthly world with godly intentions uh, and me, help me out if I don't answer your question but the, like the two thoughts that are coming to mind are you know one confession right you know um, yeah like there is the ideal and there is like the moral law like what we should strive to do but God knows that we're fallen and we're gonna mess up and he's like I love you I want you to do this but here's my mercy as well right I know you're gonna fall but I want you to come back. It's not like it's just one and done, right? It's not like one strike and you're out. Like, um, I'm gonna extend my mercy to you as many times as you need it. And so, this is the ideal, but I know we, you live in a fallen world, and, you, and if you fall, like this is how you come back. Um, um, the other thing that came to mind is what, what do we say on your wedding day, right? We say, tell death do us part, like, right? That's the ideal, right? Um, and, you know, the church goes to great lengths to uphold the, the sanctity of the bond of marriage and tell death, tell death do us part, right? You know, and so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, cheesily, right? Like, forever, right? And actually, the new vows say forever. But, like, if, um, yeah, I had a friend who, like, thought about becoming a religious sister for a long time. And now she's married with six kids. I've lost track how many kids she has. Um, but I said, just like, I just said, Katie, like, just make sure your husband dies first, and then you can go join a religious order. Like, right? Just tell down to his part. Just make sure he dies first, and then you can do both. You can have your married life, and then you can join a religious order, right? So, um, but like, so we have this ideal that marriage is told down to his part. The church also has something called an annulment. An annulment is not Catholic divorce. People get divorced for all sorts of reasons. Um, but annulment says, annulment asks, like, not like what is going on in your life in some ways. The annulment asks, is there anything that was true on the day of the wedding, on the very day of the wedding, at this point in time in history that prevented a sacramental marriage from happening? And so an obvious, you know, imped what they call impediment to marriage would be if someone had been secretly married to someone else. You know, maybe they got married in Vegas, you know, and then, you know, they were half drunk and then they never saw each other again. Um, and then they married someone else. Well, the second marriage would be invalid because they're actually still married to this first person that they married in some place in Vegas, right? And so that would make the second marriage invalid, right? Because you can't be married to two people, right? And so, um, 
you know, another thing you tell couples during the rehearsal, right? I need you, your, sp your spouse to be, and at least two of the wedding party to be sober by two o'clock tomorrow, right? Or the marriage is invalid, right? And so when you're yes, when you say yes, you have to be cognizant, you have to be free and willing to say yes to being married to this person. And so in order for that to be happen, you have to be sober. So that yes means yes, right? And so I need you and your spouse to be, and at least two of the wedding party, the two witnesses, because they'll sign the marriage license, not just the sacramental part, but the civil part, they'll sign a document saying, I witness that these two people were married. And so you need at least four people out of the wedding party to be sober by two o'clock in the afternoon, right? So if they, that's not true, that could be an impediment from a sacramental marriage from happening. Um, and there's others. And so my point is, like, there's the ideal that, death, that marriage lasts until death do us part. But the church also recognized that there may be something that was true um, on the wedding day that prevented a sacramental marriage from happening. And so then the people can go through the annulment process and receive healing that way. So maybe another more practical one is like, not to pick on guys, but just whatever. Like, um, you know, some guy is like, um, you know, sleeps around a lot or whatever, right? And then like, he meets this awesome woman, like he cleans up his act, he's monogamous, you know, or even, you know, chased or whatever for the six months of the whirlwind, um, you know, um, uh, uh, life together, uh, and then they decide to get married right away after six months. You know, they get married, and you know, then six months later, he starts sleeping around again. And the church would argue that the person that the woman thought she was marrying wasn't the guy that she actually married. Like, he was actually, you know, he actually had a bad habit. He was a guy who sleeps around. Who was, you know, wasn't in some ways even capable of being faithful. And yet he presented this image to her of a guy who could be faithful. And so the guy that she thought she was marrying wasn't the guy that she actually married. Um, and so that would be like another impediment to, um, to marriage. And so that would be another reason to annul a marriage. And so, again, my point is that, uh, to Lucas's original question is that. The church proposes this ideal of Tautatus part, but also in the, in the very means of, uh, of having an annulment, realizes that sometimes life isn't, is messy, right? So, those are just two examples that I thought of in my head, like, well, the church actually does realize that we don't live in a perfect world, right? Yes? Church to hell, you know, and like he was right. He was 17. <laughs> yeah. So, like, 
I would say, I don't have a laser pointer. Um, like, I would say like we can grow in our understanding of what the moral law is, like anything, like, right? And so, um, maybe to get a little off topic, right? Uh, there's like, some Christian denominations are like, oh my gosh, like we just have to go back to the first century church. Like we have to have church at people's houses. Like, you know, we have to look like the first century Christians. Like that's how we're going to get back to authentic Christianity. Um, and it's like, well, no. Like we've had 2,000 years of development of theology, of liturgy, of, you know, I don't know, hymns, of like, like, we say that Jesus is the truth. And we say that Jesus passed on what we call the deposit of faith, the deposit of truth, to the apostles. We have to remember that like, the first letter of St. Paul in the, um, in the New Testament, scholars think wasn't written until like the 50s. And so that means like from the time that Jesus died, which is about 33 AD, so it means that it's 20 years before anything was actually written down. And so it's like they, the Bible didn't exist, right? And so how is truth transmitted was because, like, the apostles talked to people, right? Like, um, and so, um, so we talk about the deposit of faith. Like, this st stupid analogy I always use is, like, in the olden days, people used to come to your house and try and sell you encyclopedias. If you don't, you guys don't remember that, but ask your parents about that. Like people used to come to their house and try and sell you encyclopedias. So people before the internet had huge encyclopedias, all 26 volumes or whatever, sitting in the basement. Huge waste of money, but whatever, right? And so, um, just because you own the encyclopedias doesn't mean that you knew everything in the encyclopedias, right? Jesus passed on the deposit of faith. The apostles had the, the fullness of truth in the deposit of faith because they had interacted with the truth, God, the second person of the Trinity. Um, did they understand the, the whole thing? The whole deposit of faith? No. Like, and so we believe that the deposit of faith was given to the apostles. Like we, The church will say there's no further revelations to be made. But we can under, better understand the revelation, the, the deposit of faith better through time. And so we would say like, we actually now better understand the deposit of faith than the first century Christians did. Um, so potentially a 20-year-old could? Yes, yeah. So a 20-year-old could add something new. And so I, when I say that, I'm not saying like, yeah, maybe that's a good point to make. Like, I'm not saying like, that a 20 year old couldn't offer anything new. I just said, like, would you? I mean, there's a difference between offering something new and disagreeing. Right? And so if I'm disagreeing with the core truth of the Catholic Church, you know, like, I think abortion is right. Um, well, okay. Um, maybe you need to think about that and read about that. Now, if I'm thinking, like, you know, the church, uh, you know, in the early church, there was a lot of healing that was going on. You know, that miracles were happening, people were being, you know, cripples were walking, like, you know, you know, major things were happening. And so, like, I don't see that happening in the church, right? Like, I don't see people, like, being miraculously healed. 
And so, like, that's what the charismatic movement within the Catholic Church did, is they said, like, there's something missing. Like, St. Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all these miracles happening. And so the, the charismatic movement picked this up and said, like, we need to like be radically open to the Holy Spirit and the healing that the Holy Spirit can do. Like that isn't just for the first century Jews. Like it's the same Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit should be able to do miraculous things now. And so, uh, yeah, like in the in the sixties, seventies, like a bunch of people, like you know, in the Catholic Church, brought back this kind of this openness to the radical healing of the Holy Spirit. And that well, it's in some ways knew but it was different than what you know people had done for centuries and so yeah it was a you know a bunch of you know young upstarts that started the charismatic movement and so yeah like young people can bring something new to the church but like if i'm like disagreeing with the core teaching of the church then it's probably me that needs to do some thinking and changing rather than the church does that kind of make sense yes okay Any other good questions? So, it's late, but this is fun, at least for me. So, okay, thank you guys so much.